today on Owl Have You Know. When I went to work at Rice and we had an opportunity to do something international, these kind of experiences were so transformational for me. Bringing these to students uh, in the program was something that I was super enthusiastic about. Welcome in, welcome in. This is I'll Have You Know. I'm your host, David Drugleaver. And today we have a very, very special guest, uh, Sean Ferguson on the line with us. And Sean and I go way back, uh, homies from when I was getting my MBA in 2010, 2012, and sad to have seen him leave, but he has gone on to flourish and do many things uh, internationally and cross-culturally. So uh, Mr. Sean Ferguson, thank you so much for coming on. I'll have you know, how are you, sir? Hey, thanks, Dave. And it's uh, Dr. Sean Ferguson. No, just joking. Oh, <laughs> hey. <laughs> uh, it's, it's great to, great to catch up, man. It was real, a real pleasure working with you when I was at the Jones School and, you know, as an alum and an employee to see candidates like yourself going to do such great things, man. That, that's part of what makes the, the purpose of what we do uh, really feel valuable. So uh, good to be here. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, and good call out. I mean, here's the thing. You have so many bullets on your resume that it's easy to <laughs> skip past one, you know, and that's a recent thing as well, getting your, your PhD. And, you, you know, we could maybe fast forward to the end because that's clearly an important component of the feathers in your cap, you know? So is that something that you planned on um, getting your PhD, you know, long ago, like you wanted to rise to that level, or is that something that sort of fell on your lap? Can you kind of explain maybe the rationale for having gotten to that level of education? So, you know, we were talking about this just uh, before we, we started and, you know, my, my father, he's from Jamaica, he's an immigrant, right? He, he came to the U S and for him, he, he had always wanted me to get a PhD, right? And, and he was looking for me to get a PhD in electrical engineering, and, you know, what I tried to explain to him is that, you know, when you get a Ph.D., that has to be something that you have a passion and a commitment to. And for me, that just wasn't the case with electrical engineering. I had gotten into it because it was a good job, steady, that kind of thing. And, you know, in, in his generation, if people didn't go continuously to grad school, he thought they would never go. And, I, you know, when I when I stopped at Michigan and then, you know, went to Rice, you know, he didn't think I would go to Rice. And then when I got done with Rice, he didn't think I would get a, a, a doctorate. And so, um, but it was because I found my sense of purpose and the issues that really mattered to me as an individual. And, and, and you know, just to take it back a little bit, um, I, I came to Rice, you know, when I came to Rice to work, I was looking for something with a greater sense of purpose. Uh, and, and I didn't know that working for Rice would be that, you know, I just knew I felt good about the product and I believed in the product. But you know, for me, it was, um, you know, the, the way that I started to appreciate what I was doing at Rice is that, you know, business schools and MBA programs are leadership factories, right? And I think we all can agree that the world needs more leaders. And, you know, when I had the opportunity to, to get a doctorate in global education, uh, it was a way for me to kind of, you know, proliferate my impact in, in a higher education, uh, you know, in a global context. And so that was the, the real motivation. I had finally found that thing where I could spend all my time kind of evaluating and, and, and questioning things and thinking about how we could, you know, bring knowledge and, and insights to, to, you know, my practice. So your focus has always been, as you said, um, proliferation, you know, impact in a global context. And 
that's is that something that's just been wired into you? I mean, having that international's perspective, I, I, you know, quick tip of the hat to Rice Business, always um, having a lot of international folks come in and then doing programs overseas. I remember going to South America when I was getting my business degree, and you know, that is something that is obviously if, if you're not pursuing that breadth of education and experience these days, you're basically tone deaf, right? It's not, you know, not just the US these days, you know, so in terms of keeping your, let's just say aperture, you know, at a global level, is that something that was driven from when you're young? Is that something that you felt like was your niche, you know, as you're proceeding through your career? Man, that's a a great question, Dave. You know, I think uh, the, the main driver is just experiences. And so, you know, I grew up in Detroit, you know, around the way. And in my world, I went to a school that was, you know, 95% African-American. Like, literally, I could go days and days without seeing anyone who was non-Black in Detroit. And then, you know, when I had the opportunity to experience things outside of Detroit, uh, it made me appreciate what was great about Detroit for me, but it also made me appreciate what was great about things that were outside of Detroit. And it created this kind of curiosity and this interest in culture, people, and just different experiences. So, like, you know, my junior year of Michigan, I went to California for the first time uh, to visit one of my friends who was doing an internship out there. And when I went to California, it was such a striking experience. You know, I got off the plane and, and I, you know, coming from the Midwest, I'm used to seeing black people and white people. And when I get to California, I was like, where are the black and white people at? It was such a mosaic of different colors, cultures and everything. And, and I, I used to want to be mayor of Detroit so because I thought, hey, you know, who, why would I ever leave Detroit? Right. And, but when I went to California and just saw that, I was like, I think I need to see what's going on in the rest of the world. And so beyond that, it was like, next thing I didn't know, I moved to Georgia and and then I I go to Rice. And then, you know, then you start to become a little bit more self-aware. You're like, okay, I'm half Jamaican. My wife, her parents are from Trinidad. She was born in Canada. And and so it just, these kind of, this kind of a snowballing of cultural experiences just continue to pique my curiosity. And I think that's what kind of put me on the global path. And so whenever, when I went to work at Rice and we had an opportunity to do something international and, you know, I, I, this, these kind of experiences were so transformational for me, bringing these to students uh, in the program was something that I was super enthusiastic about. Wow. Yeah. We need more of that. I, I think that again, that broader view and the widening of the aperture in terms of cultural impact and how that integrates with with business and and of course vice versa. Can you zone in on, you know, Rice specifically of all the places you could have gotten your masters in business administration, um why why Rice? So my wife is from Houston, so that's kind of where the story starts. We went to Michigan together and we were just trying to co-locate and get to the same place. And um you know, I was like when I was considering business schools, I was thinking of all the the big names, the top 10, top 20 schools. And then my wife, you know, you know, when thinking about building a, a dual career, you know, it's kind of hard to find a location where two kind of upwardly mobile professionals can thrive. And she was like, well, have you ever thought about Rice? And at that time, Rice wasn't accredited and it wasn't ranked or anything like that. And so I was like, no, I hadn't thought about Rice at all. But, you know, what was going on at that time was an amazing transformation. And so they had brought along Dean Gilbert Whitaker. And if, if you know, I'm a Michigan man. And, and Dean Whitaker was uh, the dean who put Michigan's business school on the map. And so I was like, oh, that's, that sounds interesting. And then when I looked at the data, right, the data on salaries and things of that nature, 
the school salaries were top 20, top 25. And so I, I was like, okay, so yeah, it's not accredited. It looks like there's an upward trajectory. Uh, I felt like, you know, you know, it was still a young school at the time, what, maybe like 24, 25 years old. And so I felt like it was something I could be a part of, right? Whereas if I went to some of the established schools, you know, it was a situation where, you know, I just had to get on board, shut up and not break anything, right? And, and I think Rice was the perfect place to kind of be entrepreneurial. You know, I felt like they embraced this guy from Detroit, right? Who was, you know, uh, you know, just, you know, talking and this or that. And, and so, I thought it was a great place for me and they made me feel welcome from day one. And that was really, you know, the, 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 the also there, there was this other great fact. I remember looking in this Princeton review book, right. And they said it had all this, the business schools and rice had the most hours of study per day. And I thought it's gotta be legit, right. If, it, if it's not rough, it's not right. And, and, you know, that really kind of gave me some credit to as far as the rigor. And so I thought the rigor was right. The people were right. And, it, you know, I felt like Houston was an emerging city at that time. And it, it, it might not have been the highest ranked school I could go to, but I felt like if you really did a needs analysis of what I needed at that point in my career, wife, family, school, everything, it was the perfect fit. And it was the absolutely best decision I could have ever made. And, and sometimes you don't know that when you're making these decisions. But looking back 20 years later, you know, it, it was such a slam dunk, no brainer, home run, grand slam. Wow. I like to think that, um, and this is sort of a my uh, quick tip for current and prospective students is, I mean, the networking, you know, at Bryce, you know, is absolutely phenomenal. And is the, the thing that to me stood out the most and was made the most impact for me during school and afterwards. I mean, I still have, you know, business. Um, so my peers, you know, calling from overseas, you know, locally, and we've all kept in touch. So this is so underrated about Rice. As small as we are, as young as we are, everywhere I go, I find a Jones schooler who's putting it down, making an impact in their respective part of the world. Right. And and, and so, you know, I think that's also a tribute to the school and the network. You know, sometimes we don't have, you know, 90,000 alums like Harvard. But what I always tell would tell you guys when I was a student is that the intensity of the relationships and the connectivity between the school is second to none. Well, you're not giving yourself enough credit, so I'll do it for you. I mean, under your leadership, I mean, that was embedded into the DNA. Let's get to sort of what you're up to these days. I think it's really, really interesting. And I mean, I know there's a lot to pack. Um, you've gone over to Asia, you know, you're at Hong Kong University as the assistant dean and, and now at, um, the Asia school of business. So what was the, uh, what precipitated that shift, right. To leave the U S and then, uh, go and pursue, you know, being in leadership positions in higher education, you know, over in Asia and Southeast Asia. Can you help us give a little context on your decision methodology there? Yeah. So, you know, I think, you know, and, and, and I, I have this session that I give for students that talks about, you know, you have to be engaged, contribute and things of that nature to the profession that you're in. And if you do that, good things will happen. And, um, you know, it, it was funny. Um, it was uh, 2012, Michigan and Alabama. And, and, you know, everything I say has, is a sports analogy. And so since I'm talking to an American, they can relate to this. But like we there, Michigan and Alabama were playing at Dallas at Jerry Dome. And we got killed. And then the next morning, I get this email from a search firm, Corn Ferry, and they're like, would you be interested in, you know, considering our associate dean role in, in Hong Kong? And I was like, oh, this is interesting. And 
you know, you know, funny how life foreshadows. The year before, I took a group of students to Hong Kong, and we had a fantastic time. And it happened to be my 10-year anniversary. So my wife and I, I took my wife on that particular trip with me. And, and we, we were like, oh, man, if we ever could live in Hong Kong, we would totally do it. And then the next year, someone reached out to me about working in Hong Kong. And, um, and what was really funny about that experience is that a year before that, I did a presentation with the person in that role. I was talking about how, you know, Rice's upward trajectory as an American school. And he was talking about HKUST, Hong Kong University of Science and Technology's upward trajectory. And so I knew all this stuff about this business school. And so when the search firm reached out to me, they they were blown away by what I knew about this business school, Hong Kong, and all that, and all, all those different aspects. And at the time, it, it's hard because, you know, I, for most of you know my professional career, I've been Mr. Rice, and so to leave Rice, uh, you know that was a that was a you know a big decision. And then as we got over there, I felt the kind of impact that I was having, and you know we both like as a professional, everything that we did over there was a little bit interesting because it was so much on the frontier, right? So we're we're bringing you know management education to Asia, and we're adapting it for the needs of this part of the world. And that was super exciting. And then when this opportunity came up with MIT Sloan and the Central Bank of Malaysia to, to, to be a part of Asia School of Business, I thought, man, this is something where I can have even more impact from the early stage, bring some of that energy that I tried to bring to Rice and HKUST. Imagine the effect if you're there at year one or two as opposed to year 20 or, or, or more. And so and so that's been great. And, and you know, it's been a tremendous experience because you know the, the 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 this business doesn't pay that much, but the 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 social capital that I've been able to build, you know, whether it's Rice, HKUST, ASB, has really been transformational for me. And um, you know, I, I kind of see now, you know, my thing is just I'm trying to connect talent with opportunity, bringing you know management education to the emerging world to really have the most impact. So there, I think there's two things that are going through my head right now. One is sort of the like a compare and contrast, you know, between the three different programs that you've been deeply embedded into. And then the second thing is, you know, what does that future sort of look like, you know, in terms of, you know, how you're structuring things? Because where you are right now, as you said, there's sort of a, a startup ish energy, right, where you get to uh, shape things and create some impact. So I'll take the first one first, if, if you don't mind. And, you know, between those three different programs, you have uh, Rice Business, HKUST, and then Asia School of Business. Could you give a sense of sort of like the, you know, maybe the differences, you know, in, in terms of like the culture and the charter of each of the different universities and who would go and what they would expect to, you know, get out of each? So I think like, you know, American business schools have really nailed this you know mid professional career kind of development that you get in the MBA, and I think um, you know Rice is you know a fantastic place, uh, particularly like in Houston, one of the most diverse cities in the world, uh, with you know the most Fortune 500 companies. So the canvas is amazing there. And, and one of the things that I didn't appreciate when I went to Rice was that um, there were other schools that are ranked high, but they weren't in big dynamic cities like Houston. And so I think. You know, that is it, it's kind of shaped my view of what a, a transformational MBA experience would be like. And you, and you take that to, to Hong Kong. The one thing that's different about HKUST and ASB in the U.S., more of the student body is American. At inter, international business schools, it's, it's the reverse. Right. So 
at, at HKUST, only 5% of the students were from Hong Kong and maybe 30% were from China. The rest were all from all over the world. At ASB, they're only 30% Malaysian and the rest are from all over the world. So the American influence isn't so strong. ASB and HKUST, when they were deciding the kind of spirit and model they had, they, they're both heavily American influenced, right? So most of the faculty have come from American business schools and things of that nature. And so I think that's how they're similar. But I think Hong Kong is kind of like a New York, right? Kuala Lumpur is kind of like Asia's Houston. It's that, you know, that underrated city, you know, that people don't always think about, but there's so much hidden value there. And there's so many hidden gems. The cost of living is cheap. The sprawl is terrible, uh, you know, just like in Houston. But the opportunity is here. And in KL, you know, it's kind of underrated because from a, a development standpoint, I would say it's, it's closer to like, say, a Singapore and a Hong Kong than it is to say an, a Jakarta or a Manila, right? So there's there's this this business potential here that's kind of undercover. They're all different uh, and they all have their own little spirit, but I, I think they're they're world class in their own ways. Perfect answer. And I know that was a loaded question, and you, of course you gracefully cruised through it. Assuming you know you take, have a good view of the next couple of years, I mean, and then there's of course COVID kind of you know setting things off the rails. So maybe that's a better question, you know, in terms of your efforts at ASB right now. And I'm sure you have, you know, like a multi-year strategy of where you want to take the, the program. And then, hey, later on, you know, the pandemic, um, which has affected everyone, created an immense amount of uncertainty, whether it's business, higher education, families, everything in between, you know, so can you give us a sense of, you know, what the future looks like for you at with your efforts at ASB? Um, and how COVID has affected that plan, you know, both for the administration as well as uh, the students and, and the programs that you're helping to shape. What I, what I would say is that, you know, it's, it's not going to go back to the way it was. And I, I would say six months ago, we were thinking like, well, when this thing settles down, but it's not so clear that this thing is going to settle down, even if there's a vaccine or things of that nature. Like we, we're going through spikes. Malaysia's done a great job of managing it. We were down in the single digits just like two months ago, and now we're back up to 500 cases per day. And you know what happens is people are getting fatigued with it. And so it's something that I think we have to live with. And I think as a school, what we're talking about is like, how do we, we might, how do we change our education model now that borders are closed and so much of the world? Our, our educational experience was really built around action learning. We do it every semester at ASB and we would do the projects would take place in Malaysia, Thailand, Indonesia. We had projects as far as Saudi Arabia. And that was a super huge selling po um, point for our applicants. And so now we can't do that. And so now I think what we're coming to reality is like, how do you deliver that kind of intense, emotional uh, kind of experience? You know, we might not be able to guarantee the exact same thing because of this new pandemic oriented world or the acceleration of technology or, you know, the economic cycles. And so that that's kind of how we're thinking about it. Yeah, that, that, that was a good. And I know that was a heavy handed one to toss your way. Kind of now that we have the so the COVID answer and kind of a sense of where you are right now and things globally kind of uh, segues nicely to sort of the other sort of global impact, especially, of course, in America, where you know, now, I mean, diversity and inclusion in the last you know couple of decades have has always been a, a big topic. I know in the companies that I've been at, you know, there's a big focus on employee research resource groups. Um, of course, at Rice Business, we had you know various um, groups that would get together and amplify 
you know, diversity and inclusion. And so I, I feel like in progressive companies and and business schools that have their head on straight, this is a, a, a big focus. And in, when with you being um, very highly cultured, of course, being abroad, what is your view, you know, in terms of how um, schools, especially, you know, overseas, you know, are bringing in this topic of diversity and inclusion, you know, into the program and how they might maybe have a framework as they go out, you know, into to business out into the world and, you know, make that relevant um, to whatever organization that they're part of. You know, what does that look like, you know, for, you know, the programs that you've been part of and how, how do you make, you know, diversity and inclusion relevant, you know, for the, for the students during the program and as they, you know, go, go out into the world? So I, I think Rice, Rice graduates, uh, especially those who participate in action learning, can appreciate, you know, the, the taking of theory and putting it into practice and, and working in cross-cultural settings where you can develop a cross-cultural savvy. And I think what we try to do here with our action learning, so there's one part of like, okay, we're going to teach you ops management or we're going to teach you uh, market research. But then to put that in a different cultural context through action learning like we had a group that was doing a, a market research project for a large CPG company in Myanmar for detergent. And, you know, they're trying to do digital surveys and things of that nature. And there, there's no solution except to get on the ground and pound the pavement. And they're like lugging detergent up these, you know, narrow stairs and talking to people and translating folks, uh, translating, you know, the survey, you know, verbally and, and, you know, seeing the conditions that people are living in and, you know, getting a sense of what's really going on. And so these these kind of experiences are not just about teaching people, you know, operations management in a practical setting, but that cross-cultural kind of engagement and sophistication that you get from, all right, one semester you're doing a project in Malaysia, the next semester you're doing a project in Indonesia, the next semester you're doing a project in Myanmar, you're not going to be a expert in Indonesian culture just based on that one project or Myanmar just based on that one project. But by being in so many of these different situations and then being in Malaysia, which, you know, not sure how many people are familiar, but Malaysia is kind of a fusion of all the big cultures of Asia. We call it Malaysia, the real Asia here. So Chinese, Indian, and the South, uh, indigenous Southeastern, East Asians, Malays, you know, form the population here. So there's kind of like a triumvirate of people. And so between these experiences, I think our students develop this heightened sophistication and savvy when it comes to cross-cultural interaction. And, and for me, as an African-American, you know, sometimes like so much of what's going on in diversity and inclusion is, is geared from the lens of how Americans view diversity and inclusion. And, and so I think it's, it's helped make me, even though I think I'm pretty well cultured and exposed, it's, it's helped me check some of my biases or or, or, you know, seeing from the outside experiences that maybe I couldn't see from the outside when I was in the U.S. And so I think our students benefit tremendously from this kind of experience. Super insightful answer on, on, a, on a loaded topic. So, you know, in the spirit of, you know, I'll have you know, it's, it's um, you've been pretty good with fleshing out, you know, all your various efforts and, you know, putting a lot of detail on your, your LinkedIn and, and being super open and transparent. You know, is there sort of a, a little known fact, you know, that you'd like to to impart to the audience, you know, in a sort of a I'll have, you know, <laughs> format um, th that you haven't shared with us already? I was uh, in high school. I was in junior ROTC 
and um, at, at Renaissance High School. It's the, the best high school in the city of Detroit. And, um, you know, we, I, I was in the R, junior ROTC program. Uh, I was just doing my things, just being a good cadet and that kind of thing. And, uh, you know, through a series of different events, you know, we had had this history of uh, our school was kind of like the top magnet school in the city, like a Bel Air or something like that. And um, in Houston and um, there were all these people who were, you know, we had a tradition of having core commanders come from our high school. And there was this line of people in front of me who were supposed to be the core commander or that kind of thing. And um, and I went and I became the, the core commander for the city of Detroit ROTC programs. And so I got this saber and, um, you know, uh, you know, this award and even though it's in high school and there's a lot of things I think I've done well, but that one, you know, it's those little moments that kind of catalyze something early in your life that kind of really help put you on a path. Cause, uh, you know, so at the military ball, I go through this cer ceremony and everything and it, it was great. And it's, you know, I reflect on this because, uh, two years earlier or maybe three years earlier when I was a freshman, I had asked this girl to go with me to the military ball. And, uh, she said, yes. And then, um, I guess a senior asked her to go to prom and so she couldn't get two dresses. Right. So she told me she couldn't go to the military ball. So I had to stick it by myself. And, uh, my mom drove me to the military ball. I'm going stag. And you know, Hugh, my brother at this time, he's like super young. He was like, look, Sean, there's another dude without a girl going in there. And so the, the kind of, uh, you know, two or however many years later at graduation to be the core commander, sometimes you just never know what life is foreshadowing for you. That's why I'm always positive. And, you know, I always think uh, it's, it's always uh, darkest before the dawn. Right. So, <laughs> well, that, that's a very salient message, you know, especially with, as, as you alluded to, this seemingly perennial uh, ongoing pandemic that, as you said, is fatiguing everyone. So, uh, I, I think that that's an appropriate mantra uh, for this time. Sean, thank you so much. And um, I really appreciate your time. Any final pearls of wisdom to impart to the Rice Business alumni community, which is likely the, the vast majority of folks listening, uh, as well as prospective and current students uh, that perhaps you might have wanted to know at any of those stages of the you know, business and educational life cycle? I think, you know, the thing I always tell people, and this is what I told you guys, whatever you do, rep hard and give it your A game at whatever you do, and you'll be fine in life, you know? And Rice is a great place for you to, you know, kind of cultivate that that energy and, and that rep hard spirit. The rep hard spirit. I love it. <laughs> well, Dr. Sean Ferguson, thank you so much. This was a pleasure and we will chat soon. Take care, man. Thanks for the opportunity, Dave, and the, and the alumni community. Take care. Bye. This has been I'll Have You Know. Thanks for listening. You can find links and more information about our guests, hosts, and announcements on our website, business.rice.edu. Please subscribe to this podcast wherever you find your favorite podcasts and leave us a comment while you're at it. And let us know what you think. I'll Have You Know is a production of Rice Business and is sponsored by the Rice Business Alumni Board. The hosts of I'll Have You Know are myself, Christine Dobbin, and David Drew Gleaver. 